he was just a real quiet guy. Um, you know, he came to town, he never bothered anybody, he never gave anybody a hard time, he was never in trouble, um, never was at the bars. Implement his manifesto. Tory manifesto. Publicly released a manifesto of he sorts. what he called a manifesto. This manifesto, it scares the hell out of me. And it says there, people with advanced degrees aren't as smart as they think they are. Uh, <laughs> yep. And there is the inaugural joke beginning the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Club Manifesto, where we we discuss manifestos, we talk about the people who wrote them, we do our damnedest to figure out what they were trying to say. Uh, my name is Joe, joined of course by Sos, and today we will be discussing the Bisexual Manifesto. Uh, the Bisexual Manifesto, uh, relatively brief, uh, published in the early 90s, uh, but it has been very impactful. It's been described, uh, seems pretty frequently, as a kind of fundamental piece of bisexual history and culture, at least in the United States. Um, and among other things, this manifesto provides something like a definition or almost like an anti-definition for the term uh, bisexual. And uh, while that might not initially seem all that controversial, um, in fact, it, it is, uh, at least in, among certain groups of people, um, and a lot of people have very strong opinions about the definition or lack thereof, uh, so we'll talk about that today and, and sort of exactly how bisexual uh, culture fits into the panoply of identities associated with uh, LGBTQ+, etc. So, you know, we figured uh, we got a subject here where you know, subtle differences in wording can generate intense emotional responses. Let's just uh, have a few beers and ramble about it and uh, see what happens. Uh, and uh, here to join us in this uh, this noble pursuit is uh, our friend and, and guest, uh, Sarah. Uh, welcome, Welcome to Club Manifesto, Sarah. Hello, Joe. Hello, Sosa. Honestly, bucket list check <laughs> gonna take a little selfie just a moment uh, yeah oh that's gonna fuck up the recording never mind I'll, uh, I'll do that after we finish yeah it's okay we can we can deal with the uh, the audio but yeah uh, very happy to to have you uh and that it, it's worked out it's been kind of a little while in the in the making but i'm glad that it's it's uh, finally sort of worked out uh to to do this um and so we can we'll give the give our many listeners a uh, little peek behind the, the curtain here at Club Manifesto, uh, the sort of vast, mysterious operations of the podcast. Um, so as we've done with you know other guests, we asked you if, if you wanted to join us as a guest. And uh, it was on my bucket list, so I immediately it, said yes. Yes, yeah, it was, it was a, an immediate yes. You graciously accepted. Um, but we didn't actually, I mean, it's like we knew we wanted to do an episode. We didn't know what we wanted to talk about. Uh, and so you actually were the one who became aware of this document, the Bisexual Manifesto, and mm -hmm. uh, in our back and forth about what to, uh, what to discuss, you, you know, you mentioned it as possible, uh, fodder for an episode. So how did you actually first 
come upon. Well, a, so. a very beautiful bisexual did send me a TikTok about this. So thank you to okay. my friend Brooke. Uh, she she sent me a TikTok just kind of by accident. She was scrolling through them and somehow sent this video to me via Instagram because I don't know how to use TikTok. I don't have it, but she actually mm-hmm. accidentally sent it to me magically and it appeared and here we are. Yeah, so relatively serendipitous. Uh, I don't know if this will happen to you after you're a guest, but I will say that as a uh, host of a podcast about manifestos, I actually get uh, messages about manifestos all the fucking time. <laughs> I anybody, bet. Anytime I bet. anybody comes across a manifesto, uh, they send me a message about it. So maybe that I just will happen sent to the, you as well. I just sent the message out through the wind, and she got it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's really a nice sort of uh, uh, side effect of of being involved in the podcast is uh, getting more manifestos. So, uh, well, so you you came upon it, you were sent it uh, by by your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have you you? I'm assuming you must have taken a look at it before you probably you sent it over to us. What did you have any immediate reaction to it when you first read it? Um, yeah, when I first well when I first saw the TikTok, I was like, okay, what's this guy talking about? I didn't really expect it to be much, and I pulled it up, and it was really short. But when I read it, the it, it the language was so radical that it really like stood out to me. I'm like, wow, this was written in 1990, and they're talking about n- not assuming there are two genders and not making assumptions mm-hmm. about anybody's sexuality and and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But then I also had a bit of, okay, this was written in 1990. It's very kind of cringe, and some of the language <laughs> was a little weird, and mm-hmm. but it definitely. I can see why it stood the test of time. When when we get into the actual manifesto, Sarah, pick out the cringe parts. That's the. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those are the parts everyone wants. I to mean, hear. <laughs> somebody somebody should do a dramatic reading of that poem on the first page of the first issue. <laughs> this poem be, can be put off no longer. <laughs> yeah, there's a. Uh, I mean, you, you're kind. Of, I don't know if they, they probably maybe didn't fully appreciate it at the time, what it would look like 30-some uh, years later, but uh, pretty much any poem written in a zine <laughs> in 1990 was bound to be yeah. uh, a little funny now. Yeah. That's, that's um, so I will... well. So I'll confess, I had uh, this reading this and then researching it did cause me to learn some things and rethink some of my own presumptions about uh, the term bisexual. Um, but since I've been talking for a while, uh, so had, did you? What was your uh, reaction to just just generally to first reading this? Yeah, um, I I was that that part that Sarah pointed out uh, uh, about gender uh, being fluid, even though they don't use that phrase. That's that's what they're getting at. That's what they mean, yeah. They, um, that seemed like really ahead of its time for me. That was the, uh, kind of like, oh, wow, this is interesting to be published in 1990. And, um, and there were things about the, about the, about the, um, publication that also gave me, like, I was like, as Sarah said, like, oh yeah, this was a thing in the 90s. Like, (laughs) for some reason it made me think of ad busters. If you guys remember that mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh-huh. publication, it it was like, you know, a, a little, a little um, 
too much investment <laughs> in the power of of print or whatever. But um, uh, the, but the the I was really so I was really taken aback by it in that way, and also um, I my ideas of bisexuality were kind of it, it was like it was really interesting to read and think about this. Uh, they were pretty, they were pretty kind of simple, uh, compared to how I'm thinking about it now as a result of reading the manifesto and also, uh, researching for it along with you, Joe. Like, I just thought in my mind, a bisexual was a person who was attracted to both men and women. And that's, mm -hmm. and that's it. And I didn't think much beyond that. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I think that's what uh, sort of shifted or, or that's what I kind of was forced to reckon with a bit in, in reading this is just that uh, when I learned the term bisexual, whatever time that was in my life, I don't recall, but I just thought that meant you were attracted to men and women. And I don't know at that time that I would have had any, myself, many thoughts about the fluidity of gender. Mm. Or about the potential for someone uh, to exist in a body where they don't identify as either a man or a woman. I don't think that was maybe in my head at that time. And I don't know that I've really ever uh, re-examined my presumptions or where those kinds of, uh, where that framework might have led me, uh, you know, in terms of my thoughts and, and feelings about other types of uh, LGBTQ plus uh, issues so mm. anyway it's uh it's definitely uh, worth looking at it's also very short uh, but mm -hmm. it's uh it definitely i appreciate your bringing it to our attention sarah because it's uh i think fodder for a, what's yeah. promising to be a great episode of club manifesto yes as opposed to as opposed to which episode joe they're all they're all <laughs> yeah great. which one was bad joe you gonna yeah. you gonna kill your babies here yeah that that's true that's true. The content of the manifesto doesn't matter. We uh, make each and every one every episode uh, is fantastic. perfect. Yes. Uh, but this has been fascinating. That it yes. really was. Like I, uh, I came from, I guess a slightly more advanced place, just because I have a very close friend who is trans, and when he went through that process ten years ago, I learned a lot. He's an incredible poet and writer, and so I was able to follow what was going on in his mind and what he was processing as he was going through this transition. Um, and so I did have a good amount of background, at least as far as trans rights and things like that go, but I didn't explore that as far as bisexuality before. I did kind of maintain a lot of that binaryness. I understood that it's maybe not quite that strictly binary, but then to read this and hear like from the get-go when bisexuality was pushing itself into the mainstream it was always this very radical and inclusive thing and that was that was really interesting to learn about so uh before we get into the history of the authors of this manifesto it's worth pointing out that this was not written by a single individual it's one of those manifestos in fact many weren't yeah. it was written by a group of people and uh, those are the founders and publishers of a magazine called Anything That Moves. The views uh, represented in this publication are very interesting, not only in their own right, but in the historical context in which they appear. 
Judith Butler's very influential uh, book, Gender Trouble, was released the same year that this, uh, that anything that moves uh, was founded. And Gender Trouble is a very rare academic book whose ideas are not only very influential in the fields of philosophy and cultural theory or literary theory, but they found their way out of the ivory tower into popular parlance. For example, uh, Butler did a lot of work theorizing how gender was more of a performance determined by cultural norms and history rather than biology or anything like that. And these ideas mm -hmm. were very groundbreaking in 1990 about, about gender. But now you can hear them uttered by almost any slack-jawed yokel strolling down the street in, in the Castro district of San Francisco. They <laughs> <laughs> uh... got a lot of slack-jawed yokels in the Castro district? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been, I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, there's, there's slack-jawed yokels everywhere. True, uh, true. But, uh, yeah, I, do, I, uh, I, I think probably... Uh, many slack-jawed yokels might not necessarily be totally up to date with, uh, you know, performative mm -hmm. uh, elements of gender, uh, but I do think it is like far more uh, discussed now than it was. Like I remember when I first moved to Bloomington, even I think uh, is maybe that in 2010 or something is when mm. I felt like I first started hearing a lot of people discuss gender in in this way, and I wasn't sure if that was if I was hearing more about gender because I moved to Bloomington, which is an area that, you know, the, the, the school uh, has a lot of, uh, there are a lot of people who study stuff related to gender there, or if it was because it was just, you know, starting to become more uh, prevalent. Um, and I think now you can probably sometimes hear gender fluidity discussed, you know, at least like on, uh, like probably like MSNBC or something. Uh, or like on a on a frontline special, or uh, and you can probably hear it uh, parodied on Fox News. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, you can see Caitlyn Jenner there, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, you can. I I guess I'm talking specifically though about like the gen gender as a spectrum, like mm. not not just the fact that I was yeah. like I was very aware of and knew people who were transgender prior to 2010. But to tell you the truth, my conception of that was, well, you're born one of the two genders, or you, you know, you're born and assigned one of the two genders, and then you transitioned uh, to being perceived as the other, uh, the other of the two genders. That was that was my perception of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, fl uh, the fluidity of gender had not really entered my uh, lexicon or yeah. understanding, and. That, I feel like that idea is a bit more understood, at least in the world of like, you know, there, there are people who are like gender nonconforming who show up, like I said, uh, on, you know, at least on like probably every three days on, on MSNBC or something. Mm. That's actually probably an overestimation, but occasionally. How much time see, do you spend watching MSNBC? Uh, it depends how I, it depends if I'm a if, if I'm visiting my parents. Probably a lot. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> because yeah, when I have no not, idea what their guest line. Because when looks Joe like. is not visiting his parents, it's on all the time. I mean, it's yeah, only it's when he's, when he's there. They sometimes go fishing and yeah. whatever. Yeah, when I'm there, I get a little break. But if I'm if I'm it's home, like not stop MSNBC. 
Right now, I've got three different TVs on in the background. Uh, with it's on silent now, so that we can record. But. So just to, just to give a little bit more of a historical context in terms of where America was around the time that anything that moves was uh, was founded. Um, and where it was in terms of LGBTQ uh, rights and gay and lesbian rights, Bill Clinton and the U.S. military approved of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy in 1993, so that's three years after the, the, the publication of this document, which basically stated that it was okay to have gays in the military so long as they weren't too gay, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like you the government was saying basically that its service members could serve who uh, who service members who were gay could serve so long as they stayed in the closet and this was heralded as a huge step forward in in gay rights by the mainstream or should i say lamestream <laughs> media so this is like a I'm i remember you msnbc joe <laughs> yeah yeah, I've well, shown, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I've shown my cards, yeah, what I think of MSNBC. But, um, but yeah, I, I remember when Don't Ask, Don't Tell uh, uh, happened in, in 93. Uh, and, and this was like, I remember it being like a big deal in terms of, oh, this is great for gay rights. That's how at least the news presented it. And when you think mm -hmm. about it, it's uh, it's not all that great. It's pretty messed up. But that's where the country was, you know? I mean, previously, you would just get kicked out if you were gay and anybody found out. like, or, Yeah. Yeah, you would get, like, I guess you would get dishonorably discharged or something. The slow march of progress. You won't get dishonorably discharged as long as you keep your mouth shut. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it, I do think that... Uh, it, that that's a certain kind of politics. I when I again when I was very young, I would have thought of tolerance. Like tolerance was the uh, that that's the sort of framework for all kinds of cultural issues. We should tolerate one another, um, and that's you know don't ask, don't tell is a kind of shitty version of tolerance where you you can't even say what you are in order to uh, to be a granted tolerance, but. I think that clearly we have moved on now to a a different framework uh, in terms of, of LGBTQ rights where like pride is mm -hmm. kind of all about like not it's not just tolerating people you're you're going to be like uh, sort of like accepted you have to actually accept people and uh, one should not have to feel grateful that you just don't utter a slur every time they walk into the room. You know, that's that's not actually a substantial contribution to civilized society or whatever. Pretty big deal. Yeah, the culture of the time was like, you killed 15 Iraqis in Desert Storm? I guess we'll tolerate your existence, you know? <laughs> it's like, it, it was... Just yeah, sorry, go ahead. Talk about your body count, but not the other one. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Actual <laughs> body count, not the metaphors. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you can only do you can only do one, and you should be happy. That, that, that you, yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, it is basically. It's pretty similar to this uh, this idea of like you know I don't, I don't 
I don't care what you do in your personal life, just don't rub it in my face. That's the <laughs> yeah. idea. Well, but, Joe, uh, I, I never rub it in your face, but... Uh, yeah, I, but, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. And then even... <laughs> even now in like There's a star-spangled banner waving somewhere In a distant land so many miles away Only uncles and great queers get to go there for I wish that I could also live someday I'd see queens and dykes and fairies who would serve them Whites and blacks and gays in the straits too There's a star-spangled banner waving somewhere Waving o'er the land of heroes brave and true context here uh, specific to the Bay Area in the early 1990s um, something I found pretty interesting in looking through these early episodes of or editions of anything that moves which again is this publication in which the bisexual manifesto was repeatedly printed at the beginning uh, of the magazine uh, there's a point where they're discussing uh, like a controversy that had occurred in the Bay Area, specifically about a publication called the San Francisco Bay Times, which had, uh, you know, hitherto ser been, been thought of as serving the gay and lesbian community, but they added to their masthead the word bisexual, um, which, you know, now I don't think anyone would think of as a radical move. But at the time, in the Bay Area, that created a lot of uh, controversy, so much so that there were all these letters that were written to the San Francisco Bay Times, a couple of which were then reprinted in uh, Anything That Moves, uh, which was you know, exclusively basically a bisexual publication. Uh, but they say that some of these letters, um, one, you know, one of them was actually so critical of the decision to add bisexual to the masthead that a, a group of uh, lesbians uh, or purported lesbians uh, signed this letter demanding that the sexual orientations of every member of the newspaper staff uh, be disclosed. You know, basically, like, tell us, do you have a bunch of bisexuals working for your newspaper? Is that why you're trying to undermine the gay and lesbian uh, community, so that like mm. that kind of uh, that kind of tension was present in the area when they're printing this anything that moves uh, publication, and when they're publishing this manifesto at the beginning of that publication. So, I don't know. I I just thought that was worth noting, like that there was this perceived rivalry you know uh there was this perception that bisexuals might be hostile to gay gay people and lesbian people and vice versa you know mm -hmm. i don't know if you in i know it's, you read some of these too sarah did you like come across any of that um, discussion in there <clears throat> yeah it seemed like the hostility was especially from from the lesbian community i mean mm -hmm. obviously 1990 aids was a huge issue everywhere, but especially in San Francisco and the gay community. 
And it seemed like there was a lot of blame from the lesbian community Mm. against bisexuals for bringing AIDS into their community. And so just kind of homophobia on the part of lesbians against gays, I guess, Mm -hmm. biphobia and just all sorts of loss and grief. And I mean, I don't remember the statistics and I hope I don't ever have to, but the amount of gay adult men from that generation who died is just outrageous. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, all of that is making tensions high too. Yeah. I'm sure. yeah. Straight men also, uh, this also saw uh, bisexual men um, as, as that s- same kind of threat that, that you're talking mm-hmm. about, Sarah, how they would bring mm-hmm. AIDS into the, into the straight yeah, community. Yeah, they'd sleep with women who might then slip, sleep with straight men. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that kind of biphobia existed on, on both sides for, for, mm-hmm. for yeah. the same reasons. It's, it's, kind of, yeah. it's kind of incredible. I mean, yeah. it is, I mean, I guess it's not hard to imagine why... Uh, emotions would be incredibly high. I mean, it's just a, a yeah. Massive. Everybody's losing so many loved ones. Mm. Yeah, it it doesn't make the uh, thought process any more defensible, but it uh, no. is one can kind of understand how how there would be some things said that were maybe not uh, ideal. Um, so this magazine, anything that moves, um, it's basically it's like a literary slash journalistic magazine. Uh, it was published between 1990 and 2001, 22 editions of it. I don't gather, like, from reading it, I don't, my guess is that no one is being paid or not being paid very much. I, I don't think it's yeah. probably that, that kind of a publication. Um, this is, but it is, like, pretty big. It's, like, a pretty big project. It's not, uh, it's not a small, like, little zine. A lot of these are pretty sizable and clearly, like, kind of well-researched, well-written, well-edited articles. Um, Basic mission here is just to confront uh, and redefine concepts around sexuality and gender, as as you might guess. Um, And they, you know, had a stated, you know, uh, mission to combat biphobia. Um, That's that's this, again, this publication, Anything That Moves, that published the, the manifesto. Um, and, Sarah, and I, I guess I am. Go, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Finish your thought. I didn't mean to. Uh, well, my thought was probably just what you were gonna say, which like, we we generally don't uh, press anyone on uh, Club Manifesto to reveal uh, anything about their background, but uh, you were a uh, former. You are a former former journalist. Uh, so you have. Uh, I don't think anybody's gonna use that information to track you down. Uh, but. Uh, so I, but I am just curious about your impression as a former journalist about this particular kind of publication. If you had any like thoughts about, I don't know how, how well you felt like they were accomplishing the, the goal of, of, you know, performing journalism in this specific space. Was this directed at me or is Sos also uh, a former journalist? N- no, no, sorry. I thought I, I, that, I don't know if I cut out or if I didn't say it correctly, but yeah. I meant to ask, I was directing that at you. So. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I thought the way they put the editions of the magazine together was really interesting. Like my, my favorite, I read the first four, not like the literary parts at the end, but I read the first four, like the news content of them. And I thought the one on gender was super fascinating. And they had mm-hmm. just different themes and they used 
those themes in really creative ways. Like you could tell that this is coming from an artsy community of people who have really thought about these things for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Like when they brought in a trans playwright and focused on her, it, it was just, I thought they did a really good job of finding a subject and exploring that subject. And yeah, I thought mm-hmm. it was a well done magazine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting too. They, uh, they pulled in like uh, sort of like news clips from around the around yeah. the world, and like they it had to have taken an immense amount of time, especially in the early '90s, no. because what you're doing is you're digging through like all these news stories and finding the ones that somehow have something to do with bisexuality. Did the, did the AP Wire have a bisexuality <laughs> like Wire? They, I doubt it, but maybe they yeah. had a, a queer one. I don't know. Hmm. Probably not. Probably it was reader submissions, people sending things in. Yeah, there. I mean, there are articles where it's like they did, uh, like basically an obituary (laughs) section, where I mean, there was one or two where they were. uh, I mean, they they were like, well, this person wasn't actually out as bisexual, but like, here's why we think they were. (laughs) Was like, (laughs) you know, I I don't know that that that's something I would necessarily try to do, but I wasn't, you know, not them. So, yeah. uh, but it, yeah, it was, it's, it's a pretty, it was clearly a pretty big undertaking. I'll say yeah. that to put this, put out this magazine. Yeah, absolutely. A little, a little bit more on the history of the magazine. Anything that moves was published by the Bay area bisexual network or BABN for the entirety of its run. It was founded by Carla Rossi as an expansion of the 12-page Bay Area Bisexual Network newsletter. Her first editorial, in her first editorial, Rossi stated that she was motivated to start Anything That Moves in order to combat misconceptions about bisexuals and address issues related to bisexual erasure and oppression in heterosexual, gay, and lesbian communities. She specifically highlighted the impact of the AIDS crisis on bisexuals, the stuff that Sarah and I were talking about a little earlier. Yeah. And I mean, they, they you know, the, the, the complete title actually is Anything That Moves uh, Beyond the Myths of Bisexuality. Mm, I think that's, mm. uh, at least that's at some point used. I don't know if that's consistently used. Um, and they, mm-hmm. uh, at the time, I mean, and we'll get into this when we t- discuss the whole manifesto, but they're specifically trying to be controversial, trying to be, as they say, radical. Um, the As we've not talked about this, but I guess uh, anything that moves is pretty clearly a reference to a stereotype about bisexuals being willing to have sex with uh, anything that moves. Uh, th- to be honest with you, not a stereotype that I was pr- previously terribly aware of, um, but I-, I guess it makes sense um, that that would be a thing that, that had been... Uh, levied against bisexuals uh, at various points, and and maybe was especially prevalent uh, considering all of the critiques surrounding the AIDS crisis. Um, and in in the opening statement in this like manifesto, they specifically state that what they're trying to do is reclaim this kind of negative stereotype, and uh, you know highlight the need to like create movement. Uh, related to bisexual issues so it's like a play on words sort of you know anything that moves uh create movement uh but it's moving beyond stereotypes Mm. yeah precisely yeah uh and and also let's face it it's uh 
you know, it's controversial, and why even bother making a publication if it's not going to be at least a little bit uh, mm. provocative? And uh, the final issue of Anything That Moves was released in 2001. Overall, BABN published 22 issues of the magazine, along with one special Pride edition publication in 1999. In 2020... <laughs> A team of archivists scanned every issue of anything that moves and uploaded them online. That's how we kind of found it. So, like, like I said earlier, core of this manifesto is basically about what it means or, or does not mean to be uh, bisexual. Um, so, depending on, on who you are, you know, when you grew up, what your experiences have been, uh, it, it might seem like really clear what that definition is, uh, it's, but it, it's really not. Um, Something that sort of was interesting to me, uh, the the word bisexual in the 1800s uh, referred to people that we would now call uh, intersex. Like that that was how that word was used then. Oh. Uh, was like people with um, with a genitalia that could not be uh, easily put in in one category or another in terms of men and women. Uh, and then the, the term just became, during the 20th century, came to mean people who were attracted to both men and women. And I'm sure there's plenty of interesting stuff about how that actually mm. happened. Uh, but it was only like with the rise of transgender activism in the, the second half of the 20th century, basically, that, yeah, that's that a, this em embracing of fluidity That's happened. an interesting like uh, uh, conceptual shift, right? Bisexual goes from, like, describing the characteristics of a person. They contain within them both both sexes uh, uh, to mm -hmm. being something about their, like, sexual orientation, how they have sex with both sexes, you know? It's, mm -hmm. um, that's a, I'm sure there's a story to that. Uh, uh, I don't know. If any of the listeners haven't figured this out yet, we are very ignorant when it comes to a lot of things about about this, which is the you know the of course that's what makes uh, us the only people you should listen to about the matter. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what makes it so fun to do a manifesto related podcast. Is if if anybody expects you to be uh, uh, you know intelligent about the uh, about every. Uh, you know, subject you talk about. That's the way the only things I've read are the manifestos on this show. That's about the extent exactly. of my learning. We're educated primarily by the ramblings of madmen. <laughs> but in this case, a network of bisexuals. Yes, yes. correct. Yeah, but primarily <laughs> madmen, but also yes, networks yes. of bisexuals. <laughs> a lot of murderers, but not in this one. <laughs> yeah, not not today. So I'm sure there's like a history to that shift, and and someone's written a book on it probably. But it's it, that is an interesting history. I'd like to know anyway. That's a story there. Yeah, there have been any number of. I, I was reading today like uh, different de definitions that people have when they when they think of themselves as bisexual, including one person who said they view bisexual to mean like attraction to one's gender, as well as genders other than one's own gender, which I guess is a way of sort of explaining the bifurcation without indicating that there are only two sexes mm. uh, or two, two genders, I should say. Um, the whole thing, you know, this, this is all about really the importance of terminology and labels 
uh, which clearly are really important, which is why you've got like LGBTQ, um, you know, the, the right wing is, is happy to usually make fun of the, uh, the insistence of certain people on, on using specific terminology. Uh, but it is clearly really important. Because right-wingers never obsess over uh, terms like, I don't know, Merry Christmas, you know? Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, those, yeah. are, those are two little words that they, that fucking sets them off around, around Christmas. Hey, it's m- Mrs. Claus and Mr. Claus. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, t- it turns out that we spend basically all fucking day just like using language all the time and sometimes we we happen to have preferences about how it's used you know so uh let's let's get into uh to the manifesto uh itself again like this this thing uh was it was printed at at the beginning of every edition i believe i haven't looked at every one of them but i think every edition of anything Mm -hmm. that moves it was not at always exactly the same and we'll talk about this a bit later but some of the fluidity language was actually added uh, later when they did the the, the uh, a gender edition. Um, but but there so, was still in that first year of publication, though. Like they yeah. came out with that strong statement right away. Yeah, and it, also, I mean, something that I I've not verified, but it it I heard through some YouTube video of a person <laughs> who didn't also have a source for this information <laughs> uh but there's some thought that, that it's possible this manifesto was uh kind of uh bouncing around uh between a number of people for like a couple of years prior to the publication of this magazine so like the the wording here has probably been poured over quite a bit prior to its first being published uh, there was probably a lot of editing and discussion, uh, so I, I suspect that the story behind the additions to the manifesto that included this fluidity language, mm-hmm. like it's probably uh, pretty interesting, but unfortunately, like probably no one except the people involved in those conversations will ever know. Yeah. But so, so do you want to read the first lines? Yeah. Um, Our choice to use this title for the magazine has been nothing less than controversial. That we would choose to define the stereotype that bisexuals will fuck anything that moves to suit our own purposes has created myriad reactions. Like we said earlier, I mean, it's like it's it's this effort to uh, reclaim... You know, I guess what might have been perceived as as a negative stereotype about uh, bisexual people, um, especially given the the AIDS crisis and stuff. Um, You know, the manifesto goes on to explain, you know, those critical of the title feel that that we're purporting the stereotype and damage damaging our image like we're push we're pushing this. Those in favor of its use see it as a movement away from the stereotype towards bisexual empowerment. We deliberately chose the radical approach. We are creating dialogue through controversy. We're challenging people to face their own external and bi- and internal biphobia. We're demanding attention and are redefining anything that moves on our own terms. We're demanding attention and are redefining anything that moves uh, on our own terms. Okay, I just repeated that sentence. Um, like, 
I, I guess a question that I have for, I mean, maybe both of you is if you feel like that tactic, essentially trying to take uh, one, an argument or a stereotype and reclaiming it, like if if that seems like that is usually effective, if you feel like that was effective here. I think it usually has kind of a mixed bag. I can think of other instances where groups will try to reclaim negative stereotypes and oftentimes it has, again, a mixed reaction. But I think here with the audience being presumably bisexuals, I think it was the right approach. You wanna radicalize these people who are part of your cause to get them to go out there and just be a little bolder. Um, I think that if the magazine had been aimed at a broader audience, it would have been a worse choice. It would have gotten a lot more pushback, but I think with the audience that it was, and obviously it got pushback from its audience, but but I think it was the right choice to try to radicalize the people that you want to be out there for, out there in the streets. Yeah, and I always feel like re trying to reclaim a negative word is a, is a real uphill battle. Like, um, the, the one success that I can think of is the word queer, where yeah. that was, that was kind of reclaimed and made into something, uh, yeah, queer does feel positive. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Where, uh, so that, that was the one, but I, uh, and, but I can't think of many success stories, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, it's a big, and I also, coming from my own experience, my, I didn't know there was a negative connotation to bisexual. Uh, uh, that, that was a thing that I wasn't myself aware of, like until really reading this, I was like, really? People think that's like, I was like, I didn't, I didn't think of bisexuality as, as like having mm -hmm. a kind of any kind of stigma against it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my own well, I think it's it's also kind of hard to it's hard to assess really what's a success story with uh, for example like slurs mm. um, it's difficult to because what's clearly true is that regardless of whether the community tries to reclaim the term the term will continue to be used in some capacity and it, right. it might be used exclusively in, in the kind of harmful uh, way uh, so is it uh, necessarily, is it a uh, a failure simply because the term continues to be used all the time, including in negative ways? Well, it's pr that was probably going to happen anyway. So if it's also used sometimes in positive or, or less negative ways, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to gauge whether or not it's a it's a failure or a success. But I, I can certainly understand why like a publication like this would want to do that. Um, and uh, and also, I think it's pretty clever. The like anything that moves is a yeah, uh, is. a phrase <laughs> that like it's. I mean, it's a not a bad, just generally not a bad uh, sort of concept for a movement oriented publication. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, the very next line in it is expanding on that wordplay. Mm -hmm. Do I get? Can I read it? This yeah, is, yeah, you asked me earlier if I'd point out the cringy parts. Oh, this is like the most 1990, 1990, 1991 <laughs> thing of it. Read our lips. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> shit, yeah, yeah. Good Read one. our lips. We will write or print or say anything that moves us beyond the limiting stereotypes that are displaced onto us. 
That's in all, all caps. It, it is on all caps. Read our lips. They want you to pay attention. Yeah. No man. new taxes. No new- Sorry. Uh. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought of. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's 1991, man. And, and you're and you're printing this. There's no lips. This is uh, there's no. Read our lips. <laughs> this is a, this is a magazine. It's a, there's no one talking. God damn it! Like, why why are you dragging George Bush's dumbass into this? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe maybe just back then everyone said read our lips all the time. I don't know. I don't. I don't really remember. I wasn't very old then, but uh, I probably maybe. said it. I don't know. Yeah. I I can't really think of any time I've ever said, uh, you know, in seriousness, read my lips. If if I did say it, it was in 1991 when I was four years old. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe my yeah. grade school teacher said it once when she was like mad at us. You know, read my yeah. lips. Yeah. You, yeah. Do that one more Sit time. Sit down or no field trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. read my lips. I'm not taking a nap. <laughs> Bisexuals were seen as being on the fence when it came to like whose whose team are you on? Are you on? Are you with the straights or are you with us? You know, as far as like gay and lesbians went, uh, uh, mm-hmm. and and they weren't choosing to be part of one community or the other, which kind of, I guess, pissed off pissed off both. Others uh, see bisexuality as a type of immature phase in discovering sexual identity, you know, because it is, uh, you're not choosing anything. You're kind of ex- in this, in this, like exp- what seems like an exploratory mode rather than a solid identity. Um, that, uh, uh, that especially within like the gay and lesbian community, this was, uh, seen as, or I mean, straight people think this too, you know, like if you, um, it's a phase you go through before you settle on whether or not you're gay or straight. Those are like the real identities. Bisexuality is just this like gray area you float through. And, um, and these forms of discrimination against bisexuals, uh, the, the place I'm getting this from is from the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, uh, LGBT Advisory Committee. So it's like people have like studied this and uh, these were things that, uh, again, I wasn't aware of. So within this context, it's easier. I don't know if reclaiming the term bisexual was successful or not. I have no way to really even like start talking about that. But I see now why reclaiming the even to think of the term bisexual as a thing you need to reclaim to begin with is, 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 is more clear to me in, in this, in this kind of context, whether or not I never, again, I never had any negative connotations towards bisexuality. And that was my, I don't know why I thought that that was my impression of like, I was like, 
uh, uh, just to say it out loud feels kind of weird, you know? Like, I yeah, I just thought, no, who has problems with bisexuals? <laughs> that doesn't seem like a an issue Lesbians. to me. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. There's something that I, I don't really hear discussed a lot, but it, there is a, kind of an awkward, the, the um, LGBTQ, like, term is awkward in that, like, L and G just imply, like, who you're attracted to. Mm. T, like, T has, I mean, really doesn't have anything to do with who you're attracted to. Completely separate issue. Yeah, Yeah. and they just kind of smash that together, and then B is, like, in the middle, uh, and, like, I, I just had not really spent much time examining the way that those things intersect, but you can easily be someone, obviously, who's gay or lesbian or heterosexual and uh have no uh respect for trans people or have really kind of uh you know limited ideas about gender and and you see that clearly with like uh the turf situation you know trans exclusionary radical feminists um i just had not really contemplated how that uh intersected with with bisexuality yeah, until reading this, I was kind of in the same boat as so. It's like, what is biphobia? That's a thing. Like, mm-hmm. what is this? But after reading this, you you see how the the B and the T go so much together. Like yeah. the the bisexual issues and the gender fluidity, while they're separate, like when your when your gender is fluid and your attraction might all, they they just supported each other and they really like organized. Like previous to reading this this man like all this magazine stuff i kind of thought is thought of bisexuality as like watered down like more approachable yeah but they've actually been a lot more radical so 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 from the beginning so sarah does that mean like bisexuality is or sees itself like people within the bisexual community i don't know bisexuality is a threat to gays lesbians and cisgender people is it like a, is this a kind of like adversarial? I think they're coming for you. No, I think it's more. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's more just about opening up the concept of a spectrum. Like it's, yeah. it's about looking at sexuality as a spectrum, gender as a spectrum. I think society in general has just been moving towards recognizing that we don't all live in black and white boxes and there's just a spectrum on a lot of things. And yeah, that's, that's kind of like to me that was as you also mentioned the most interesting part of the manifesto so uh to quote it bisexuality is a whole fluid identity they even use that word uh Mm -hmm. do not assume that bisexuality is binary or duogamous uh in nature that we must have two sides or that we must be involved simultaneously with both genders to be fulfilled as as human beings. In fact, don't assume that there are only two genders. Do not mistake our fluidity for confusion, irresponsibility, or an inability to commit. Do not equate promiscuity, infidelity, or unsafe sexual behavior with bisexuality. Those are human traits that cross all sexual orientations. Nothing should be assumed about anyone's sexuality, including your own. So then they turn the lens on the 
on the reader. Like that was, um, that was like the talk about a thing that feels like very contemporary. You know, that quote mm-hmm. kind of really popped out at me. Yeah, the the idea that you do not have to, uh, you should not really be expected to explain yourself. I mean, that's kind of, uh, I think that is one that's kind of hard for a lot of people to accept. That uh, even if someone's behavior does not conform with your expectations of them, they don't necessarily have to slap a label onto it that neatly explains why they're doing uh, what they're doing, that there might be some uh, fluidity to their uh, experience. But hang on now, Joe. Hang on. Let me... I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody, but that part where they say, (laughs) you know, that we must have two sides that must be, uh, uh, you know, don't just think there are two sides. You know, the word is by... Sexual by means too. Mm. God damn it! I didn't come up with the fucking word, <laughs> but it, it is misleading. It makes you think it's whatever's going on here involves two, two of something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. If if you're, I mean, by by sickle, I guess you've got two <laughs> wheels. Um, you know, binary obviously is one, mm. but I mean, it, it, that's what I was saying. There's that. Like, what does it really mean for there to be two uh, genders or two options, I suppose? Mm. And there's a potential way to interpret that as, like, bisexual to mean uh, attraction towards one's own gender as well as As genders other than one's own gender. And that's where there's, like, a, a bi like a, a split. That's where the you know, two becomes and, many. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is fucking confusing, obviously. Uh, like when you read the, the manifesto, that's the first thing that I thought anyway, was like, well, I, I, it, I, that's not what I thought the word meant, you know? Um, but I don't know what the hell I thought the word meant in a way after I, after I thought about it for a while. Um, it, it is like, there's a point at which you start wondering what's the point actually of there being a all these different labels uh when in fact it seems to me like we do basically Mm. live on like this like we all exist in this like weird spectrum of experience when terms comes to sexual orientation sexual uh sexuality or or, uh, gender um so much (laughs) time is spent fighting over uh these like labels that you can't avoid the fact that they exist but uh it's it's yeah we should we should all be it they them that's it those are the (laughs) only fucking uh pronouns that should should be used it'll make things a lot simpler but i especially want to exist yes uh i it they them that's all you need it's Mm -hmm. it's uh, i often think of babies as it's it's hard to call a baby a boy or a girl, especially. I mean, they haven't expressed their gender to you yet, so. They haven't expressed anything. They're just like little yeah. balls. Yeah. I mean, of, maybe some annoyance yeah, with their oh, gassiness, yes. but a lot of crying. But they haven't performed gender. <laughs> the only thing they express is desire. <laughs> I <Yeah>. want. 
Yes. I'm not sure that they've actually, you know, performed the ability to understand even like what the difference between objects are, you know, and what's like uh, <laughs> what's the air and what's not. Um, they truly are the most enlightened beings. They can't see <laughs> the boundary between themselves and the world around them. They're uh, little Buddhas. Every every baby's a, a, an enlightened uh, Buddha. <laughs> So Sarah, uh, uh, this kind of language turns out to be particularly impactful, in a large part because it seems to refute the claim that bisexually, bisexuality implicitly reinforces gender binary. This issue has cropped up in discussions about pansexuality, which refer to people who are attracted either emotionally, physically, or both to all genders. This includes cisgender, transgender, agender, and gender nonconforming people. So um, the question I, I want to ask you is, uh, what do you know about the controversy between bisexuality versus pansexuality? That is the context where I found out about the existence of the Bisexual Manifesto. Oh. And so um, I've, I've looked into it a little bit, and it seems like everybody who, who I didn't identifies as pan and is insistent that bisexuality does not include them and is somehow negating their experience. I think that they're focusing in on that language again. They're like, oh, it says binary. I, it says bi. I know that that means two, mm. and that's what it is, and they're going off of that. But at, at the same time, like pansexuality is... I haven't seen that word appear in any of these editions of this magazine that we've read. Mm. Like, I assume that that's a very new word to describe something that the bisexual manifesto is very clearly already encompassing. Like they make it clear throughout their their magazines that everybody's experience with bisexuality is going to be different. Like everybody's going to have a different set of people that they're attracted to, and that's gonna just be extremely personal to everybody. Um, so I think that it, this new controversy, and it's not necessarily that new, like Googling pansexual versus bisexual gets you articles several years old. Um, I, I think it's a lot of it's just based in ignorance of what the bisexual movement was about. Yeah. I mean, that and also I'm sure that there are individual people who are bisexual who are, uh, you know. Who aren't pan, uh, yeah. Well, who aren't pan, but I mean, who also are probably uh, uh, transphobic. Yeah, you know, oh, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I'm yeah. sure that they're individuals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the I mean, when that's your most high-profile bisexual is Kirsten Cinema, it, it gets a bad rap. I can see why people want to distance themselves. Yeah. But well, the first, she, yeah, she's the first bisexual uh, Senate, mem- member of the Senate, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there are reasons why people have felt that. You know, that, that there are probably reasons why... Uh, I tried to find instances of like actual like really like flame wars between people who identified as pan and people who identified as bi and I mostly just found like references to them or people describing having conversations like with their coworkers or something and uh it does seem like the core of it is some people want to identify as bisexual and there are uh, others who say well you can do that I guess but you know you're kind of reinforcing the gender binary and so the question is, is that, is that really true? Yeah, that, that quote that I read earlier that 
I was really taken by, which which talks about gender as being fluid. You know, in a blog entitled "An Inclusive Place for Pan Folks," it argues that that very quote that I saw is something that's very forward-looking and inclusive. Uh, uh, this blog reads that quote as uh, uh, a kind of critique of the manifesto because it drives a wedge between by people and pan people. So it's uh, it, it all depends on which. You know, for me, a straight, straight guy's perspective, it seems very open, you know, very uh, uh, inclusive kind of passage. But for another group, it seems to be driving a wedge uh, uh, between between different members of the of the community, which, um, you know, it's the, the eyes that you're looking at any document through are kind of, you know, determining so much there. It's also worth noting that, like... Uh as we were saying earlier, when they first printed this manifesto, they actually did not include this fluidity language. And so, like, through their eyes, through, through the eyes of, like, this bisexual network, at first it didn't seem necessary to explicitly state this, this uh, information. And it was not until, uh, or to explicitly state this uh, claim or this de- description of what it, what it means to be bisexual. Um, and it wasn't until they did an edition entirely dedicated to gender, uh, where they discussed fluidity that they decided to go ahead and put something in there about this. And, um, I think that that's kind of telling, you know, that wasn't something that they even felt needed to be said originally. And then, uh, you know, came around to it. But again, you know, as you said earlier, Sarah, it came around to it like pretty quickly. It was within the first like three yeah, it was the third issue that it came into the its final form. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't know. Did you know the word uh, duogamous previously? No. Okay. Well. Yeah, that's a new I, one I to didn't, me. I as didn't well. either. I, I didn't either, but it does. I guess it. it uh, when you Google it, the first definition that comes up is from Urban Dictionary. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's even that's, widely that's, recognized. Yeah, that's maybe a, not so much a word. That's a dictionary that's taught me more words than any other dictionary. <laughs> so I'm not gonna talk shit about Urban Dictionary. It's an authoritative not, source in my life. <laughs> it's it. Uh, well, it absolutely is in some instances. That's, that's where uh, I read the definition of yeet. Remember Yeet? That was <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All I'm hearing is you didn't spend Fridays reading the dictionary in junior high. That wasn't what you did. Because uh-huh. I I would just like lay on the love seat and flip through the dictionary on Friday nights in junior high because mm-hmm. that was my social life. Nice. Learned a lot of cool yeah. words. Yeah. Did you hear yeah. about that guy who read the whole Oxford English dictionary and wrote a book about Why? it? Like he read every fucking word in English, uh, and he, he and in this book, and then he wrote a book about it. And then he wrote a book about his experience. He was like, it felt miserable. That's the short version, from what I remember. And then, yeah. and then he had a list of like the weirdest words that that he found, and and those were th- that was the most interesting part. He was like, hey, look at this weird word. Yeah, that was my dictionary read. I'd flip through until I found a weird word, and then I would read that that definition and teach myself interesting words nice. wasn't just reading it word by like line by line <laughs> do you have any success in uh, using those words in uh, hmm. uh, everyday conversation or? i mean i was the 
regional champion scholarable captain, uh, my like extremely random knowledge has served me well throughout life. Did you w- win nice. a spelling bee or something too? I can't remember. Uh, no, I got third place in the spelling bee. Okay. I did not win the spelling bee. But, right. yeah. I wasn't. I was not reading the dictionary, and I don't. I think I don't remember how I did the spelling bee, but I'm pretty sure not very good. So I guess I'm sure that there was some impact. There. In my in my defense, Matt Taylor, a year behind me, did go on, like almost to nationals. He was like one word away from making it on television. Oh, so that's yeah. who I lost to. What a loser! Yeah. Right. Shout out to Matt. <laughs> well, no, I'm kidding. Even uh, even a uh, a word enthusiast like you did not know duogamous. I did not. Uh, that but, that uh, was a new one for me. <laughs> Duogamous, according to Urban Dictionary, uh, refers to a bisexual individual who has two exclusive sexual partners, one of each gender, which Mm. my suspicion is that's like maybe not a really like perfectly specific, accurate uh, definition. But like, I think the implication is that duogamous means uh, like the, the kind of need to like. Uh, for a bisexual to have relationships with like men as well as women, uh, yeah. I think that's the implication of that word probably in this uh, yeah. in this manifesto. And that's one so, of the things that I I found most interesting about all of this. Part of the magazine was an advice column where you wrote in to an auntie and an uncle who would tell you things that your mother wouldn't say. And one of them was a bisexual man who was in a relationship with a gay man and they wanted to commit to a long-term, not marriage because it's 1991, but long-term relationship. And the mm-hmm. gay male partner was very concerned about the the other man's attraction still to women. And mm. the, the bisexual guy was agreeing with his gay male partner. He's like, I'm still attracted to women. Can I be in a committed relationship if I still like am attracted to other people? And the response was feels extremely obvious. Like that's just how it fucking works, man. You're gonna be attracted to other people, whether it's this person or that person or all these people is beyond the point. It's and so like yeah. overcoming your own internal biophobia was apparently a thing mm. that a lot of these people needed to do. Like, yeah, that is mm-hmm. that is the that's an interesting kind of way to think about like earlier I asked about bi people being a threat, right? It's mm-hmm. that's a one way, that's one way in which like within people's imaginations, you know, you could be a threat. You're like Oh shit! You're twice as likely to cheat on me now. Like yeah, everyone... you're gonna be attracted to twice as many people. Exactly. It's now yeah. we're now we're assuming there's two genders, but you yeah. know, it's it's <laughs> like you're 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 attracted to so many more. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna cheat on me. The the likelihood is is so much more. It's um that that's a kind of like that's a that's a really hard stigma to to overcome, you know, and and I would assume Drink the whiskey this morning cuz my baby she ain't going home I'm drinking water tonight cuz I drank all the whiskey this morning Last night She met some big country 
one more part of the magazine. This is towards the very end. They say, um, you know, the, uh, the, the magazine doesn't just talk about gender and sexuality. That's we've, what we've been focusing on for our conversation. It's the most interesting part to us, and, 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 and rightly so, I think. But the authors aren't just talking about those issues. The, at the end of their manifesto, they turn towards a kind of aesthetics uh, or rhetoric, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, they say... This magazine is about anything that moves, that moves us to think, that moves us to fuck or not, that moves us to feel, that moves us to believe in ourselves, to do it for ourselves. So anything that moves is about what stirs people emotionally, intellectually, and physically. It's a cultural and aesthetic publication I'm sorry, a cultural and artistic publication, as much as it is one that's trying to put politics into action. The way that they um, the, the, the way that they put their manifesto into action is through publishing uh, uh, these different articles uh, uh, and, and, and artistic pieces that, that arise from the bisexual community. And this is where it kind of, for me, it also dated the document. This was the Adbusters feel. It's it's not through direct political action, and and um, uh, it was uh, you know not taking it to the streets, but like uh, uh, publishing you know a magazine. Kind of again, Adbusters is the is the biggest example for me, and thinking that putting a thing into print is going to change the world. And I felt, and I felt a little weird about that, but, um, but I, mean, I wonder well, what you guys think. Well, I mean, I, I guess I, I'd first like throw it back at you. Like, uh, what, what do you see as the value of any kind of direct political action that does not also have a, some kind of propaganda element associated with it like you got to have some kind of publication to put your like your more complicated ideas into print right because you can't just have your seven word chants you know yeah the and then there there always is that media propaganda wing of any of any movement but the, this also goes back to an earlier question where i had is this an adversarial document is this something that's trying to like they say they're being radical. They're just like saying "fuck you" to a whole bunch of people. I I don't, you know, in my mind, an effective politics is about building coalitions and not uh, carving out your own space. You know, I uh, uh, if you if you push me enough on that, I might take that back. But let me. I, I'm wonder, I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering what you guys think. I'm just trying to. So as far as like direct political action that came from this whole anything that moves meant um, that the political column that they ran 
Again, like very early 90s, just gold. The straight poop is the name of the political column. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the straight poop, folks. Uh, uh, you're hearing it here. The straight poop. Yeah, the straight. We're giving you the straight poop in our bicycle I mean, magazine. I, I'm going to go ahead and, and still say I kind of like, uh, I don't usually like wordplay, but I think they do better wordplay than usual the, the, in this the, they, they do it pretty well. Like I, I feel like it's obvious that this is a lot of people with like master's degrees in English. <laughs> <laughs> who like moved yeah. out to the, 15 the years of education leads you, yeah 15 years of education leads you to the straight poop this is what I, <laughs> yes look at me so mom. one thing i learned one thing i learned from the straight poop is that as this was all going on um there was a push to change the wording in like civil rights legislation it ultimately never happened at all but the original push was to include language protecting gays and lesbians and the bisexual movement um, got that switch to uh, protection against discrimination based on sexual orientation. Hmm. So just hmm. taking away those black and white boxes and saying we're not going to discriminate based on orientation and just leaving it up to the individual. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, and I mean, obviously it didn't change the federal law, but there are state laws that have those more specific language and it is the sexual orientation. You know, you're not going to get discriminated against for being bisexual, whereas le- lesbians and gays had protection. Yeah. And that is an important phrase, isn't it? Like to protect yeah. against sexual orientation, the, the, the vagueness is important because if you said mm-hmm. to protect against like, you know, homosexual or heter, you know, or lesbian sexual orientation or some some something to that effect would really be a lot less inclusive. A lot, uh, uh, um, yeah. So yeah, that's important. And so like in that, I mean, in that way, you figure. I would guess that uh, this network that published anything that moves was involved in all kinds of uh, types of political action, including, I'm sure, some direct, like, action, some protest. But if you have a publication like this, you can spend, like, 65 pages or whatever, and these things are pretty fucking long, going into, like, great detail about, you know, as we're discussing, like, this language is, the distinctions here kind of, like, nuanced. It takes a while to really sink your teeth in and really uh figure out even what why it would be important to say sexual orientation as compared with just protections for for gays and lesbians uh so to me that's the function of like a publication like that Mm. that and like Mm -hmm. i don't because i don't think this is actually probably a a mass like a, a widespread ultra it's it's not mainstream media you know, I think that's really important too to any kind of uh, movement is figuring out how to manipulate mainstream media. But I think this is more like how to talk to your movement, mm. essentially. And 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 like, you know, I, I guess one of the to go back to my to to defend myself just a little bit, like you you definitely need both. You need a political movement and a kind of media or propaganda wing to to try to you know, generate the contours of the conversation that you're trying to have uh, as opposed to what other people are trying to say. And, uh, but in the nineties, it just seems to me that, um, especially like these, 
the this kind of publication and the adbusters kind of publication that are the, the, there was just a sense that there you know this is pre occupy wall street um uh, uh pre battle in seattle uh, uh, in in the 90s, there was kind of a lull in my mind as far as political action. I'm sure there's a ton of shit going on in a lot of places. But in, in terms of like national and international, and Occupy did go international. It's it's uh, it, 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 in a brief little f moment. Um, you, you know, and I'm someone who's like pretty deeply invested in words and language, but in my own politics, like, words aren't enough. You need to have a, f a movement. The last, like, really great political change that I can think of happening in America, like, uh, 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 paradigm-shifting change is the civil rights movement, and that didn't happen by anybody publishing anything. I'm sure that was a part of it, but, um, act, you know, direct political action was the other part. But well, and and to me, I'll go so far as to say the more important part. What do you uh, uh, What do you think, Sarah? Is this just like? Does this uh, is this just like? Am I too narrow? Am I think I'm just like talking. I mean, I I think that you're di divorcing the publication a little too much from what was going on because yeah, pride I, parades. It's because were, I don't know what was going on. That's why I'm divorced. Yeah. <laughs> I am, I'm, so a big part of like. A lot of the letters to the editor were like, I'm in Boston and the gay parade here doesn't want to let bisexuals in. Or I'm in Boston and the St. Patrick's Day parade is finally letting gays in and we've got this violence that we're facing. Um, and so, I don't know, this feels like just such a an interior publication, like the, yeah. the community was reading it and it was helping them organize. Like when I first Googled the Bay or Bisexual Network, like the things they did in the 90s were like, coffees and they went on group hikes in the redwoods and it, it felt like a a very typical networking like professional thing when i looked at what yeah. the wikipedia was telling me until i started reading the magazine so i think that there was this larger political thing that was separate from the publication but yeah that, that's no that's I, and, and these are things i don't know about you know i'm just going um on kind of initial impressions here that's a that's a really good point um yeah i'm 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 you know my politics have have changed and evolved so much over the years in terms of like what i think is just what i think about politics and what's good to do what needs to be protected yes i think as i've grown up like seeing these things like oh that's the thing i never occurred to me that that needed to be protected yeah but it does yeah and so this was like, hey, let's speak up and let's get our voice together and speak about these things that we need protected. And I feel like it was kind of fairly good at unifying. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, we're reading it, you know, right now yeah. in twenty. People are still talking about it on TikTok. Yeah, that yeah, you got it. You got it. They care through, <laughs> through TikTok. We're talking yeah. about it right here, and and that's and that's a testament to like publication, uh, and and its and its power. Uh, what you yeah. say in the streets only it's ephemeral you know it, it, it after the moment is past everything is past so it's um i'm not, i'm not trying to like devalue what they were doing i'm just trying to uh uh 
figure out the contours here, I guess, in a bit. And, mm-hmm. and, and, in, and in my own politics, because, like, uh, uh, I do, I do favor, like, direct action over anything else, but also in the age we live in especially, like, direct action hasn't led to the changes, even close to the changes people want in our generation. You know, it seemed like... Yeah, it's all been Supreme Court decisions. Really, truly. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, it, it was like, you know, in, you know, in the 60s or 70s, protests at least got the people protesting a little bit of something in my whole lifetime it's not done it's not you know it's not done that much uh, or maybe that's my own frustration with my own moment maybe people back then were feeling it too but i just i just think that you know there's a greater gap between the machinations of government and 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 the people at 90 percent of the population than there were because if there wasn't that gap, then neoliberalism is a failure. That's the whole point of ne- neoliberalism, to build that fucking gap between people and their government. And uh, and to say that they're, you know, the 60s were the same as now is to almost say, like, the neoliberals failed, which they didn't. They fucking succeeded. Unfortunately, yeah. Mm. That gap is real. I think it's uh, tempting, though, in the world we live in now... To seriously question the value of like words put into publication because at least this is the feeling I have often that like you can watch the conversation echo back and forth at rapid speed with tons and tons of information being passed back and forth lots of it in good faith lots of it not and you see people (laughs) in real time Responding in such a way that indicates they're not swayed at all by another person's words, mm. you know, mm. and so it makes you wonder, like, what do you have to do to convey uh, information to another person in a way that sways them? Uh, and I, I think that the context for this particular manifesto was like a little different. I think that probably. At least people were not as cynical as I sometimes feel now um, about the value of, of uh, putting earnest feelings and thoughts out into the world um, with the hope that someone will actually take read them in good lips. faith and care. Yeah, and read their lips. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, we all just want our lips read. You know, that's what yeah. everyone <laughs> We just want to be... Like, I think that's what it boils down to. I mean, everybody really wants does. to feel... They, they want to feel seen. They want to feel mm-hmm. like their existence is acceptable and it's okay and people see them and they accept them. Yeah, everybody wants to feel seen. Well, we have, we, we have I think, pre- pretty well reached the end of, of the text mm-hmm. uh, of the manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, if, Sarah, was there anything else that you, uh, you'd read that you really uh, felt like you, you wanted to cover uh-huh. before we close out here? No, other than just to encourage everybody to go seek this out and read these magazines because you will learn a lot and just as open-minded as you think you are, this will open your mind more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And I, I want to uh, thank you again for, you know, not only having the idea, uh, but also, you know, being uh, willing to come on to the podcast and, and Ooh, uh, yeah, you know, I'm talk, not going to forget to take to that selfie after I finish recording. <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh it's been a pleasure, and we're going to begin uh, here a new uh, a new segment 
on the on Club Manifesto, uh, which is uh, final joke. We Ooh, end with a final final joke. I figure. I wish I'd known about this ahead of time. The pressure. Yeah. Shit. Well, no, no, no. You don't have to tell a joke. We're not. Uh, well, you, you don't have to tell. Well, that's disappointing. Now. I, I yeah. wanted to tell. Yeah, you're right. That. Well, feel free to tell a joke if you like. Uh, that, final that joke. That go. Yeah, yeah. Final. Go. Go. Final joke. But uh, no, we're we're gonna end with a final joke. By the way, the chances that I'm going to edit in uh, some piece of audio where I'm like, <laughs> final joke is pretty high. So uh, we'll, we'll see. By this point, the listener's already heard that. So it's going to be kind of repetitive. Uh, a young buffalo asked his father, Dad, what does it mean if I like both cows and bulls? The father buffalo replied, it means you're bi, son. Mm. <laughs> kind of, it's especially stupid considering everything we just fucking talked about. But that goes down best. real easy. Yeah. <laughs> this, it's, it was the best uh, joke I that mean, came up when I searched yeah. bisexual jokes. Why was that not part of the manifesto? As well? <laughs> <laughs> they fit yeah. in a lot of wordplay. They could have. Yeah. They could have. Um, yeah. I, if they're if they're listening, I'm sure they would appreciate that part. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't hear wait to hear their reviews of that. Uh, but uh, well, uh, thanks again, Sarah. Uh, it's been been great. And uh, yeah, like I said, folks, folks, if you feel like uh, reading the manifesto, you should. And uh, we'll we'll be back. It's been a little while, so this is it's the first one in a, a couple months yeah. or something, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll be back with another one soon enough. The Club Manifesto takes a vacation too, you know. Anyway, have yeah. a... <laughs> but, uh, well, have, uh, also, you know, if you've made it this far uh, and you, you got anything to say, go ahead and shoot us a message over at our uh, email address, clubmanifesto420 at gmail.com. That's clubmanifesto420 at gmail.com. Yes. Just a pro tip to all you super fans out there, emailing clubmanifesto420 at gmail.com is how I got myself a guest spot on yeah. here. There you go. So <laughs> make yourself a loud and proud fan of Club Manifesto, and you could be discussing your in fact, manifesto In fact, if you just with email your, us... With the coolest hosts. <laughs> if you just email us and don't say anything about being a guest on the show, we'll invite you on the show. Just like... Yeah, uh, I didn't ask about that. I just emailed them about furries. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sarah just sent a good-natured email about furries, and next thing you know, I'm asking her to be on the, on the podcast. So. All right, all right. Uh, good night. Good night. How much time do we need alone? Fighting dragons on our own. While we hang our heads in woe-begone misgiving. Waiting for men and friends to return A smile while stoic ulcers churn Guts to grit, when will we learn That gay is for the living We just lay low and hide our pain And do like we was trained Our desperation's easy to explain We're trying 